1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you all are doing well. I have to say I'm in a pretty good mood today for two reasons. Number one, it is 64 degrees outside as we speak. I just walked home from an appointment, which is my second reason for feeling great today. And I was just amazed. I took my jacket off. I was wearing a sports bra. Like It is nice out. It's like that perfect temperature where it's not too hot but it's also concerning considering it is literally winter still, right? It's winter, I think until April, technically. So we're in February and it's 64 degrees, which is concerning for the planet. But I will say it is pretty nice. Otherwise, I mean, it feels nice on my skin at least. And the second reason why I'm having a good day today is because I just got my hair done. Nothing crazy. It's like I didn't even cut it or anything. It's still my kind of short lob length. But I got my grays dyed, which after I posted that on Instagram, I got a lot of DMs about, like, Katie, why do you dye your gray hair? Like, I love gray hair or, like, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you sometimes. I feel like gray hair, when done right – I might offend people when I say this, but, like, for me, my gray hair, I don't get enough gray hair where it's, like, tasteful or it, like, looks kind of cool – It's very much just like the short little spiky pieces like right in the front of my head and nowhere else. It's like very concentrated towards parts of my hair that it doesn't look good, if that makes sense. I mean, I leave it for as long as I can, but it just helps my confidence, okay, to dye them. So I do, and I love my hair girl, Sahar, at Maven June. She actually just started her salon a year ago, I think. Yeah, a year ago. I've been seeing her for like three years now. She's the only person I trust with my hair. The only reason why I felt confident enough to go short was because of her. She, I mean, at first she was a little skeptical, but I had this dream and she made it happen and she made me feel good about it. And now I'm sitting here with amazing hair. I am Becky with the good hair, literally, but I'm not taking anyone's boyfriend. Um, But anyway, yeah, my hair looks great. The weather is nice. I'm going to dinner tonight with my friend Emily. We're going to Crosby Bar, which is like the Crosby Hotel restaurant, which I've been wanting to try. So I'm excited about that. Tomorrow night, I'm going on a date. Things are going well. Yesterday was kind of like a blah day, but today is like a good day. So I'm really happy about it. Things are going well. But that being said, I've been watching a lot of TV recently. A lot of new shows have kind of like all dropped at the same time, it feels like. A lot of really juicy dramas and like docu-series and things that I've been really interested in, two of which are Inventing Anna and the Tinder Swindler. I can never say this. Tinder Swindler. So both of these have come out recently. I watched both of them in the span of a week, like binged through them. They were pretty easy to digest, like really interesting stuff, very tragic but interesting. And because of these two shows, I've really been thinking a lot lately about guilt. So today's episode of the podcast is centered on guilt. And I have a story from history, you guys are just not gonna believe, it's bonkers in this subject realm and I'm just going to talk about guilt in our generation and micro guilts and just what to do when we're feeling guilty about things like how to work through it so it doesn't literally cause us a physical Reaction. Okay. Like you can get sick from feeling guilty. It's crazy. I did some research. So we'll get into that. But I want to talk about these two shows. So, Inventing Anna and the Tinder Swindler, if you guys haven't seen them, I mean, they're all over social media now. There's like so many references on TikTok now. There's like a a sound people have been using that's from Inventing Anna. But put simply, these two shows are about two different people in two totally different places wrecking the lives of of others, stealing thousands upon thousands of dollars from people who did nothing wrong and feeling the opposite of guilty, like not feeling guilty at all about it, thinking that they were in the right, thinking they did nothing illegal. Anna Delvey, aka Anna Sorokin, we actually talked about her on the podcast a while back. I do remember. It was kind of like a smaller story in a bigger episode. I forget which one it was, but we talked about her. She conned people close to her and people that she wasn't extremely close with, people that she wanted to be close with, like New York's largest banks and hotel chains, leading them all to believe, like people that loved her, people that respected her. She led them all to believe that she was this trustworthy girl with a dream. And the documentary or whatever you would call it, it's not a documentary because it had actors in it, Is that still a documentary? I don't even know. Whatever you call it. The series on Netflix really did expose both sides, if that makes sense. So obviously it's centered on Anna Delvey, Anna Sorokin, whatever her name is, and how she was cruel in conning people out of their money, in kind of lying to people, like all the stuff that she did, obviously. But then also it exposed the other side of things, showing how the people that she conned weren't totally without guilt either, if that makes sense. Like the people that funded her venture weren't totally innocent themselves, if that makes sense. Like everyone kind of had an ulterior motive, which in life you realize as you get older, everyone has an ulterior motive. I mean, okay, not always, but people t- you know typically do. There's no such thing as a free lunch. My dad always says that to me. I think it's like a finance term or something, but like nothing's really free. There's some sort of incentive in there for another person unless you're doing it out of the goodness of your the good of your heart, but it's very hard to find people that do that these days, I feel like. I mean, I do things just to, to be nice because I but but isn't there sometimes part of me that's oh, you know, I'm doing this nice thing because I want them to think I'm nice. You know, it's we're none of us are totally innocent, okay, in this world. So we'll get into that in a second. But so that was Anna Delvey's story in a nutshell. Simon, the Tinder swindler. R- both of these are really interesting. I really enjoyed watching both of them, to be honest with you. I know some of them got bad reviews. But Simon, was he's the Tinder swindler. This is another documentary on Netflix. And he conned people as well. He conned women that loved him, meeting them on a dating app, making them fall in love with him. Then faking, like pretending that he was in trouble and was going to get killed or something by his enemies and then asked them, begged them to wire him money. And then he took all of their money too, plunged these women into debt. So both of these people, Anna and Simon, they both caused harm and didn't seem very remorseful. OK, neither of them as far as I know, really think they are to blame. I've been seeing Simon, the Tinder swindler guy who like conned these women that loved him, on the news recently. Like he's come out and like said, I was just trying to meet girls. I'm like, okay, you can meet girls without stealing $300,000 from them. Like it's just crazy that this guy is not behind bars. Anna Delvey, on the other hand, is, I believe, she might be on pr- parole now, but I know she served time. Like Simon, I think, served like four months or something. I don't even know. But anyway, so after watching both of these shows in their entirety, I sat with myself for a little while and I was really just thinking, wow, I could never do that. I could never. I have the guiltiest conscience. I could never do that, like inflict knowingly inflict harm like that on another person, steal from another person like that. I think disappointing other people and making them mad at me for any reason is legitimately my biggest fear. And I'm afraid of like pretty terrifying things like spiders and rats and the fuck boys of manhattan (laughs) i might not steal money from people and feel that crushing guilt of putting people that i love or pretend to love into debt but i definitely have experienced some micro guilt situations
0: today's episode is brought to you by angie When you Angie that, download the free Angie mobile app today or visit angie.com that's a n g i . c o m.
2: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach, you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip, you ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new, you rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
1: Small things that I've done or said or felt that give me this sinking guilty feeling in my gut. Like, you know that feeling. The guilty feeling that you get when you do something, even super small, that doesn't align with your moral compass that does not align with someone else's moral compass that you know people are going to talk about, that you know will upset someone. And let's just, let's keep it real here. I'm being so honest with you guys about this. I feel guilt in ways that are common, but also totally avoidable, I guess. But it's just one of those things where when you do so many things in a day, it just and you try to be a good person, there's ways where you're going to fall short. Like I go get dinner, like I sit at a restaurant, I don't finish my food and I feel guilty when the food gets taken away and I didn't finish my plate because I know it's going in the trash. I know someone could use that. And if I don't ask for a box, like sometimes I ask for a box and I'm like, I'll give it to a homeless person or someone that needs it on the way home or give it to someone in my household. I mean, I live alone, but it's like someone will take it, you know? And I sometimes forget the box on the table because that is my biggest toxic trait is leaving. I always ask for a box and then I leave it on the table. I do it every time. And then by the time I get home, I feel this like sinking guilt feeling of like, oh my God, I wasted food. Wasting food in any way makes me feel so mad at myself and I feel so guilty and it is avoidable. You know, I need to – I could give it to someone. I could buy less. If I know I'm not going to cook, why would I buy food? You know, that sort of thing. Like things go bad in my fridge. And it's one of those things where it's avoidable, but it is tricky and I'm human. So I feel guilt about like those things. I feel guilt about things like leaving someone on red. Like I'll sometimes open a text and not or not open it because I don't want to forget to answer it. So I'll just not open a text and then go on Instagram and post on my story or post a, a feed post or something or comment something. And then I realize like I get that sinking feeling, like, oh my God, I this person's gonna think that I'm ignoring them and it's a lot of it does stem to like what people will think what will other people's moral compasses say about what i'm doing and i feel guilty on my own like i don't want someone to think that i am a heartless human being but i also know certain things are wrong and it just it gets to the point where i'm so tired sometimes where i'm like i just can't deal with this right now like i know it's wrong but i can't deal with it it's never anything like crazy i don't want you guys to think i'm like committing murder but I'll go for a walk to an appointment from like – or I'll do something. I'll be going somewhere and I desperately need coffee and I'll just go to a store and buy a cup from like a cafe and they give me a non-recyclable cup or a non-reusable cup and I'm like, I feel like a horrible person. Like I feel like a terrible human being. I have a Keurig at home. I have ceramic cups at home. I even have to-go cups at home. Like why? This is avoidable and I feel guilty about it, but it is, it just, it is what it is sometimes. And I, there's just like micro-guilts like that. That's what I mean when I say micro-guilt. It's small things that definitely add up over time. I'm not going to say that. They don't. But it's not like you're betraying a friend or cheating or doing something really, really horrible. And I found an article from Cosmo. It was published in 2020. And they talked about our generation. So I guess, you know, 20s, 30s, I don't even know what our generation is considered. like when you read that in an article, I kind of just took it as you know the writer was young and so kind of just me. <laughs> I'm like so selfish like me. But anyway, our generation, like generally like being in your 20s, let's call it that, is called generation guilt. And they interviewed a psychologist and a neuroscientist about guilt in young people and here's what they said. They said nowadays there are so many pressures on us that dictate what it means to be a good enough human. And that's what the psychologist interviewed said. Her name is Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'll have her linked in the show notes. Sally Sheldon, a neuroscientist, also interviewed said... Increasingly, women are exposed to conflicting societal codes, causing these feelings of guilt wherever they fail to meet them. They must rise as fast as men, up those career ladders, but without being bossy. They must also have a family and an active home life. They must be thin, but also curvy, successful, but not too ambitious, sexually attractive, but not sexually promiscuous, beautiful, but not aware of their good looks. A.K. this is totally an unattainable thing. But... Then Dr. Scarlett said that men are also, they're not exempt from this either. They also experience guilt. They are traditionally seen as the providers and have for centuries. So when they see a loved one going through a hard time and they can't magically fix it, guilt may play out for them as well. And then, you know, without – this kind of goes without saying, but social media feeds into this as well, showing us all these perfect model human beings who can never commit any wrong and always recycle and always give their food to the homeless and always answer texts on time. Like, they always do everything right because, you know, obviously people do a lot of things they're not proud of, but they most likely won't post about it. There's a lot of fear involved now, too, of what people will say and how people will judge, so we don't see much of what people are quote, guilty of. The last bit of that Cosmo article that I will read in this episode, and I'll have the the rest of it linked in the show notes, of course, is about the effects that guilt has on our bodies. And it's fascinating. It really takes a toll on our health to feel this much guilt all the time. Dr. Scarlett, the psychologist, said that guilt can weaken our immune systems and increase cortisol levels, which could lead to high blood pressure, an increased risk of heart disease, diabetes, depression, anxiety, guilt can be a contributing factor in the growing levels of anxiety among women, which we all know we don't need any more anxiety in this world. Like we're already living through a very strange time even now in 2022. And so she suggests that we should tackle these feelings of guilt, even the micro by number one, figuring out if the feeling of guilt that we're experiencing is due to society And unrealistic expectations of us, or something that we've actually done wrong and need to work on, need to resolve. And if it's the former, so feeling guilt due to society and unrealistic expectations and norms, quote, if it is that, something that society maybe has put a lot of pressure on, we should focus on what is actually realistic for us, she says. We should talk to other people in our lives and see how they manage their guilt, how they think about these things in this world that make us feel these micro-guilts and how they tackle them. And finally, we should remind ourselves that it's literally impossible to be perfect, which I feel like I'm reminding myself every single day and I still can't get it into my stubborn head. She says that we should ask ourselves, what do I need to help me get through this moment and do that thing? Like, what do I need to do? Do I need to apologize to someone? Do I need to go the extra mile next time? Like, what do I have to do to get me through this moment of feeling this guilt and and do that thing? This is super helpful for me to think about, like, what do I need to do to help me get through this moment? I just want to, like, use that in every bad experience in life not just the guilty ones like when i'm just feeling sad like what do i need to help me get through this moment ben and jerry's yeah like it's just there's certain things that help you get through and you never think to ask yourself so all in all having guilt this is what i take from it it shows that we're humans it shows that we have and feel emotion that we have morals and we try to stick to them like you know that we care about other people it's actually a good thing, in my opinion, to feel a healthy dose of guilt every once in a while. It means that you're kind of checking yourself, okay? And doing what we can to work through it. Like taking that guilt that we feel and realizing there's a reason why I'm feeling this and it's because I'm trying to be a better person. Like I'm trying to be my most authentic self and not just sweep these things under the rug so we can follow me through life. I'm trying to resolve these things. I need to feel it first and then work through it second. All of this, guys, all of this wrapped into one, experiencing guilt and doing what we can to work through it, knowing that we're not gonna be perfect no matter what, and that's just life, and there's beauty in that. All of this, okay, all of these chats we've just had, or I guess it's me chatting and you listening, but all of this leads us, perfectly segues us into this slightly spooky story from history that I have for you guys. It has to do with a woman's guilt and what she did to get her through it. This woman's name is Sarah Winchester, and one of you lovely people actually told me I should look into the story of Sarah Winchester and her house, and I'm like, oh, a woman's house, like, cool, probably not a story, but I was wrong, and today I will tell you the tale of the Winchester Mystery House, home of the heiress Sarah Winchester and thousands of spirits. So there is a house, guys. Let me paint this picture for you guys. There is a house in San Jose, California that sits in this lot. And from the outside, it looks pretty normal. But the inside is a totally different story. The inside of this house was a maze. Elaborate staircases shoot up through several levels of the home before Ending abruptly, doors open up to blank walls and corners rounded to dead ends. This is no ordinary house. This is the Winchester Mystery House, designed by Sarah Winchester in 1884. She was heir by marriage to the Winchester Firearms Fortune, which we'll get into. So... Let's back it up. Sarah Winchester grew up in the 1840s, privileged. She spoke four languages. She went to the best schools. She married into money and high standing in society, and eventually she gave birth to a sweet daughter, Annie. However, her luck soon ran out. Her daughter Annie died suddenly, and so did her husband soon after. William Winchester, so Sarah's late husband, was the treasurer of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, which is a company that made guns, a lot of them. His father, Oliver Winchester, had started the company to, quote, build the finest guns and ammunition possible. And soon they did and became wildly rich because of it. So Sarah was left without her daughter, Without her husband when they passed away, but sitting on a pile of roughly $20 million, which is equivalent to over $550 million today, just a crazy amount of money, as well as 50% of the Winchester Arms Company, which was around $1,000 a day or $27,000 a day today. So Just a ridiculous amount of money. Like, I would not know what to do with all that money. I really don't even know. But let's think about it. Like, let's put some perspective into this. She had just lost her family, her husband and her daughter, people that she loved. And they were just tragically ripped from her life without warning. The money was there, sure, but, like, it meant nothing to her in comparison to if she could get her family back. She would obviously pay any amount of money to get her daughter and her husband back, So she was really upset. She didn't know what to do. Her husband had always known what to do with the money. And so she didn't know what to do with the money. She didn't know how to live her life without them. She just did not know what to do. She felt very paralyzed by fear and sadness and all of the above. And so she turned to a medium. So someone who could speak to the dead. If you guys know Long Island medium. I was actually at dinner like three weeks ago and was seated near Teresa, the Long Island medium. I felt very cool. Anyway, so Sarah, Sarah Winchester, back to her story, she turned to a medium to help her potentially reach her husband where he was beyond. Okay. So she paid someone to channel, to speak to her husband and get answers from him about what to do. So understandably, I mean, no one really knows what happened between Sarah and the medium. I think it has to do with like patient confidentiality or something, but here is what the legend says. The medium was apparently able to reach William, her husband, from beyond who told Sarah to leave her home in New Haven, Connecticut and head west to California. William told her from the dead once she got to California, she was to use the money that he left her to build a home for all of the spirits of those people who had fallen victim to Winchester rifles, the guns that his family had created, or Sarah would be haunted by them for the rest of her life. So she had to go to California, build a house, let all the spirits chill there as like a peace offering, or they would haunt her for the rest of her life. And I guess she thought about these things and was like, all right, let's go to California. So she up and left New Haven and booked it for California. She bought an old farmhouse on a plot of land, and began to draft some blueprints. So what was once a decently small house, I saw that it had like seven rooms, became a seven-story mansion rather quickly. It shot up out of nowhere. Sarah just did not have time to waste because, you know, she was going to be haunted forever by these spirits if she didn't get her move on. She didn't even hire an architect, only carpenters that listened to her instructions. So a lot of the rooms, staircases, windows, etc., like I said earlier, ended up pretty wonky and just making zero sense. So like I said earlier, she constructed these staircases that would literally go up. I looked at photos online. They would go up several levels and then just stop. So you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. Like you'd go up the stairs to nowhere. Doors would open up to like a 15-foot drop out into an outdoor garden if you went through the wrong one. If you step through another door, you'll land eight feet down in a kitchen sink. And there was like six kitchens in this property. So one of six kitchen sinks. Anyway, so it just didn't make sense. There was like doors that opened up to just a wall, hallways that turned a corner and would end in a dead end leading nowhere. This was Sarah's ghost home the house that would hopefully save her from being haunted for the rest of her life by the people wronged by the guns that made her family rich. So you could say she had a bit of a guilty conscience. All in all, Sarah's oddly built mansion had seven stories, 161 rooms, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, 47 stairways and fireplaces, 10,000 panes of glass, two basements, three elevators, and a kind of bizarre looking inside that made zero sense aesthetically. And then she went all out with the decor, of course. She got these stained glass windows created by Tiffany & Co., like the original Tiffany designer, elaborate chandeliers, indoor plumbing and hot water, which was just crazy for the time. And that was her home. People thought she was crazy. She apparently kept doing renovations on the home, like was not finished with the home up until her death. Like she was continuously upgrading this house, probably just like worried sick over these spirits and what her husband had told her from the grave. Like it's just crazy what guilt will do to you. Anyway, so in 1904, an earthquake struck San Jose and oddly enough, the Winchester Mystery House though it experienced a bit of damage. Understandably, it was an earthquake that shot through the town. The house didn't collapse. And I'm thinking maybe it was due to like the spirits inside. Who knows? I don't even know if I believe in spirits, but Sarah Winchester never publicly admitted that she was building a haunted house due to her late husband's guidance from beyond the grave. She never said any of that publicly. She never gave any interviews. She never left behind any journals, had no family members that were willing to speak about it. So we don't know if this is fully true, but but people talked about it, okay? People in town, the contractors that worked on the house said that Sarah would have these daily séances with local mediums. They saw her do these things and they said that she was trying to reach these good spirits. And it's just so interesting, like why did this woman who inherited so much money walk away from her fun and exciting life to build this house in the middle of nowhere. Maybe it was her grief talking and designing this. Maybe, like, who knows why she did it? But to some extent, you have to think that guilt was to blame because, like, the way that this place was constructed was so insane. Like, she apparently did the the construction so wonky. The, The wonky nature of the home and how staircases lead to nowhere and doors open to nowhere is apparently because of the spirits and what they told her to do. Like, they would tell her, to make this this staircase on this side of this wall and make it go up and then don't finish it. Like they would tell her things, I guess, and that's what she just did. She apparently used secret passageways to get around the house, hoping to hide from the spirits, and she also slept in a different room every night. Sarah Winchester died in September of 1922. She left all of her belongings to her niece Marion who had been her personal secretary later on in life. But interestingly enough, the mystery house was never mentioned in her will, which many found very peculiar considering so much money went into it and it was probably worth something, right? Like all the Tiffany stained glass. But it's interesting. I think maybe she just didn't feel like the house even belonged to her. It belonged to the spirits. It belonged to her husband, maybe. It just, it was, it served a purpose of somehow you know, making up for all of the death that was caused by the guns that her family made. And I, I don't know, she thought she did something to help with building this home. And it really was just her and I guess her niece living there in this massive home with 161 rooms. Like, isn't that wild? So anyway, she didn't put the mystery house in her will. So what happened to it? Well, it was emptied of all of Sarah's lavish and bizarre belongings, which went to her niece, Marion, and a local investor bought the home for $135,000, which would be around $2 million today. Just five months, get this, just five months after Sarah Winchester passed away, the Winchester Mystery House was opened to the public for tours. So they profited off of the home that Sarah had crafted due to all of the guilt that she held inside of her. So, this week, guys, with this story, with this whole episode, with everything I've talked about today, I want us to think about the guilt that we hold and how we handle it, what we do to get ourselves through it. And consider, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing, are we going about it in the right way? And I say this because imagine if Sarah had, instead of creating this seven-story, 160-room mystery house of sorts. Like, what if she had donated the money that she used to build this house, which I read was around $71 million today. What if she had put all of that money into a foundation of sorts that helped victims of gun-related violence or donated to the NRA? I don't know if that's something that would have helped at the time. Something like that maybe even just to the known victims of the gun-related tragedies that stemmed from her family's gun company. Like maybe something like that would have maybe helped her guilt a little bit or made her feel better or maybe would have made a difference in the world. Instead, she listened to mediums that she didn't even know or trust necessarily. I guess she maybe did trust them and built this bizarre home that she never felt comfortable living in. Until the very end, she was still sleeping in a different room every night, like so concerned about the good spirits being happy and like the bad spirits be, you know, it's just it was so stressful for her towards the end, I bet. And she had to deal with that because she just couldn't figure out what to do with this guilt that she held, I guess, or her husband's guilt that she held. It's just, it's so interesting. Very, very interesting story. I'm glad one of you guys told me to look into this because it's really given me a lot lot to think about in terms of guilt and what we do with it, okay? Because there are some things in my life I still feel guilty about from years past that I've really done nothing to handle. And though it does get a little bit less painful over the years, I guess, or like painful is the wrong word, uncomfortable maybe, to know that I did something bad or whatever, like, I feel that it it just – you feel that feeling of, like, the weight being lifted when you do the right thing, when you go about dealing with it in the right way, right? And throwing money at a problem is not always the answer, but sometimes it is. You just have to figure out, if is it the answer, right? Like, with Sarah Winchester being this, like, trillionaire, basically, like, knowing that her family's company had caused harm, obviously – there's a whole other argument with guns and there's so much I could say about this. But back in that time, even like the fact that she recognized that guns caused problems, like, and maybe her family was to blame or something. Like, that's just, it's just interesting how she went about it. Like, let's build a house for the spirits. I don't know. I think that her grief definitely played a role in her behavior. Like the grief that she felt that she held over her the loss of her, her daughter and her husband that definitely played a role in all of this I, I'm sure but it doesn't seem like Sarah was very happy towards the end it's kind of sad I mean maybe she had a, a good time designing this house but the fact that it was never finished goes to show that she was kind of using it as this like project that to hide maybe her true feelings or her true desires or her tr- like she was just throwing her all into this project so she didn't have to think about anything else you know. Anyway, so that is my story today about guilt, all of my thoughts about it. I will continue to think on this, and I'll probably have some follow-up points next week, but that's my episode today, guys. Hope you all enjoyed hearing these stories, um, and I'll talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye.